everyone, to Kids A to Z with Dr. T. I'm your host, Teresa Signorelli, and we are bringing you information about the five areas of child development. And by that, we mean physical, intellectual, social, emotional, emotional, and moral, so parents can empower their children to thrive. Well, today we have a Brains in Toyland segment, and we're calling it What Every Parent Should Know About Teething and Drooling. And our guest is Diane Barr, who is a speech-language pathologist, and um, she's actually been with us a few times, and this is actually our fourth interview together. And uh, Diane is specifically and specially trained in feeding and oral sensory motor treatment, and she has a good 30 years' experience um, in the field. And uh, in her experiences, she's written two books. One is a um, textbook for professionals on oral motor assessment and treatment, and she's also written another book that's for both professionals and for parents, um, which is really wonderful. And that is called Nobody Ever Told Me or My Mother That, Everything from Bottles and Breathing to Healthy Speech Development. And um, she's taught a number of undergraduate and graduate and continuing education courses, as well as courses for parents. Um, and she's got a wonderful company called Ages and Stages, and you can access a lot of that information um, online where she has information about feeding, um, they have a wonderful mission of providing the best information possible to parents and a goal of preventing feeding, speech, and mouth development problems and, and really keeping kids on track. So we'll talk a little bit more in the show about how you can access that information, um, and Diane will tell us more too. But uh, for now, I want to bring her on and say, hi, Diane, you there? Hi, Teresa. Thanks for having me again. Oh, it's been so great working with you. You really do have so much wonderful information for parents. And um, this is a big topic, and I think a lot of people don't understand it. And um, I, I, so I'd like to start off, because we have a lot to talk about, is maybe first talk to us about um, what's the most common concern that you find parents have about teething and drooling? Okay. With regard to teething, parents usually want to know if it's safe to give their kids, their children, solid foods if they don't have teeth. With regard to drooling, parents usually want to know how much drooling is too much drooling. Okay. And um, we're going to address those um, later as we go through the show, right? Yes. Uh, yes, absolutely. Right. <laughs> Good. So let's start. <laughs> let's start first talking about you as a professional and what you're often surprised about um, regarding what parents don't know about teething and drooling. Okay. Well, children drool when they're developing growth and growth motor, sorry, <laughs> and whole body movement skills such as walking, crawling, rolling, talking, um, uh, and fine. Sorry. Uh, let me start that over. Gross motor skills, such as crawling and walking, and fine motor skills, such as using their hands, their eyes, and their mouth. So while they're developing motor skills in general, we see some drooling or what I call, I'll talk about dribbling. They also drool or dribble when they're teething from birth to about 30 months of age. And this is during the, you know, first, mostly during the first two years of life. Teething occurs as children chew on appropriate toys and foods, and that's something that parents often aren't aware of. They know kids chew on things to tease, but I'm not sure all parents understand the importance of it, and we'll talk about it. If a child's not getting enough chewing experience, teething teeth may come in late, in an irregular sequence, or improperly formed. So... It can really affect tooth development if kids aren't getting the chewing they need. Um, profuse drooling is never normal or typical. So when parents see drooling during development of motor skills and teeth coming in, it should be just a dribble. Uh, the child's shirt should not be constantly wet. If the child's shirt is constantly wet, this is not typical drooling. This is something more than that. Okay, so that's that's an important takeaway. Um, yeah. That um, it's normal to have a little dribble, especially as you're developing all these physical skills, uh, whether they're those big gross motor skills or those tiny fine um, fine motor skills, and and when yeah. teeth are coming in. Um, but if that shirt is wet, um, that that's a sign that they should seek help. That's right. 
Okay. And we'll I, we'll talk about where and how and to get help a little bit later, or did you want to address that now? Oh, no, we'll do that later. Okay. So, um, so let's then talk a little bit about um, uh, theories you might have about why teething and drooling are seen together. Um, okay. Teething involves mouth movement, um, which is a form of fine motor function. So, therefore, teething movements, which occur when we're increasing food textures in the diet, the child's diet as appropriate, and giving kids appropriate mouth toys, elicit drooling. Um, this is similar to what happens when kids are learning other fine or gross motor skills, as you said. Okay. Um now, what um, I mentioned your book before that nobody ever told me or my mother that um, right. is a really <laughs> lovely. <laughs> it really is a lovely resource, and I actually have Thank it in you. front of me. And um, you have a chart there, um, so um, about teething and drooling from age one month to age twenty-four months. So maybe um, talking about that developmental process could be helpful. Sure. Um, Babies go through a developmental teething process. It's mostly, as I said before, during the first two years of life. Um, But it can go up to 30 months of age because I don't want parents to freak out and look at these charts and think, oh, my goodness, my child's not right here on this chart. What I did in the chart was I gave a range of ages where um, teeth are coming in. And I also talk in that chart about how drooling or dribbling is often a part or usually a part of this process. Um, While I have a detailed description and chart in the book, I'm going to give you just a brief summary. So at one month of age, babies rarely drool because there's little saliva produced around that time. However, between two and five months of age, parents may see some drooling as the baby is mouthing hands, fingers, or an appropriate toy, okay? And we talked last time about appropriate toy use for mouthing. Teeth oh, you know what? Let begins... me jump in. Yes, Diane, let me sure. jump in there for sure. one second. Right, we did talk about appropriate um, toy use, and you had mentioned a little bit earlier about appropriate mouth toys. So right. I had mentioned uh-huh. um, um, to the audience, Diane and I have done a number of these interviews and um, our the most recent interview before this one was called Get That Mouth in Shape, the scoop on pacifiers, <laughs> the scoop on pacifiers, thumb sucking, and mouth toys. And so I would encourage our listeners to go back to that interview with you because you really do go into detail about pacifiers, thumb sucking, and appropriate mouth toys so that mouth development, teeth coming in, et cetera, et cetera, really do come in nicely. So, um, Right. Uh, I thought that would be smart to shout out. So, all right, let me let you sure. get back to your, your chronology. Right. And, pass, and pacifiers don't do it, you know. So yeah. they really need the appropriate mouth toys. So for the next stage, teeth usually begin to erupt or come in uh, between five and nine months of age, particularly if the child is using appropriate mouth toys, like you just mentioned, and has appropriate feeding experiences. This is the time when we're starting to introduce some safe feeding textures, and a lot of parents don't know that because in our first interview, we talked about baby food jars. There's not, this is not against the baby food companies, but baby food jars not being labeled um, in such a way that they really help with mouth development. Mostly baby food is pureed or very soft foods. When between this five and nine month period, parents should start to be inter- uh, introducing some food textures, and that's all in my book as well. Right, and um, um, you, you, oh, let me just jump in for one second. So, sure, um, sure. right, that interview we did, that initial interview was called right. "What What Baby Food Jars Don't Tell You," and uh, it had a subtitle right. of "Feeding Feeding 101," and it really is a nice introductory kind of primer for parents. Um, in a blog, um, I should say, uh, podcast, so parents can listen. And I found it very helpful and enlightening, so I think parents will too. Yeah, great. So as we know, uh, some drooling occurs with teething and the development of motor skills. The primary or baby teeth usually come in in a specific sequence. 
between 5 and about 30 months of age. Um, The sequence is listed in my book, but, you know, parents, you can go to the Internet and find tooth development sequences. I'm sure there are dentists. I didn't look it up, but I I know I can find almost anything I'm looking for out there. Um, I'm sure there are dentists that have those sequences listed. Um, So I suggest that parents record their children's tooth emergence using a chart to see if their children are on track. And as I said, there's a range of when the teeth are coming in. There's a specific sequence. And we want the teeth well-developed when they come in. We don't want them missing enamel or anything like that. Um, And we'll talk about what to do if that does happen later on. Um, Also, back to another, our previous interview, we talked about jaw development. Tooth development and jaw development go hand in hand. Jaw development and airway, airway development also go hand in hand. So everything in the mouth, the face, and the cranial areas is connected. Right. So I want to go back to one of the things you just mentioned about finding information on the Internet. Um, Because I'm a speech-language pathologist as well, but I don't do the oral motor and the uh, feeding. I'm a cognitive uh, and language person. And so I was doing some research when I knew we were doing this interview. Right. And one of the things that we always advocate on the show is that parents, go to the trained specialists in any given area of child development. So that's like a speech pathologist like you with a special training. But I went to um, the American Dental Association. Uh, They had some really wonderful – yeah, they had some really wonderful resources there. So that would be, I think, another smart place for parents to look to start gathering information. I think that's a really important point, Teresa, because – uh, they may find lists that say they're accurate um, in any area of development, but really going to the horse's mouth, so to speak, is yeah. the way to go. go. Go to a credible source. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. yeah. That was just my piece. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I agree. So yeah. So um, you had said that drooling um, takes place as teeth emerge and that it should be a dribble and not, and not profuse. So so parents right. have a really good picture of what that is and know whether or not they should act and go to a professional. Can can you talk about that a little more? Sure. Well, pro, as I said, profuse or excessive drooling is never typical. Um, the drooling that's seen during motor development and teething should be just like a periodic dribble not a stream of saliva. If the child has a constant stream of saliva, something else may be going on, and the parents are going to need to look into this, and we'll talk about what might be going on as we, as we continue. Um, one con- concern I have about significant saliva loss is hydration, and we know that children need appropriate hydration for good brain and body function. Uh, so... Uh, You know, here's an example. Children seem to need two-thirds of their body weight in ounces of non-caffeinated, non-sugar fluids each day to remain adequately hydrated. So if they're losing that through saliva, that could be a problem. They're losing liquid. Um, So if you have a 36-pound child, for example... Uh, that child needs about 24 ounces of water per day. And this is different from an adult. An adult needs about half of their body weight in ounces. So a 120-pound person would need about 60 ounces of non-caffeinated, non-sugar fluids through the day, water or things that don't have, have, you know, like caffeine in it that's going to dehydrate you. Right. Right, that's so interesting. I never realized that the hydration issue with increased saliva output um and how yeah, how important hydration is to good brain and body development and functioning. So, yeah, it's a good takeaway. Yeah. Um and I mean, you even put that in 
uh, your information for your presenters, you know, that you want us to be hydrated before we start our interview. So we can That's true. Them. That's true. I have a I have a green room document I send to all my guests and you know, keep yourself well hydrated and um yeah. whenever I start whatever even I start a therapy session whether I work with children and adults, um yeah, um, especially the kids. I'm like, let's get some water before we start. We have it there, and it's available to them. Um, so, yes, yes, <laughs> hydration Absolutely. is really important. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about how feeding and mouthing and teething are all related. Okay. Mouthing, biting, and chewing on safe and appropriate mouth toys and foods, as I said before, seems to be crucial for the emergence of teeth. Um, we see many children today who go through prolonged periods of sucking on pacifiers and thumbs without appropriate mouthing, biting, and chewing experiences. And that's a big concern. There are many kids ending up on our caseloads who would not really need to be there if parents only knew how to introduce these things. So that's part of what you and I are doing. Um, we're seeing many children in our clinic uh, whose teeth aren't coming in on time, they're not coming in in a proper sequence. Um, in my experience, and I, I've done this a lot with children with Down syndrome, just to digress a bit, one of the things we noticed in our clinic at Loyola in Maryland years ago was when we kept our children with Down syndrome who already have a disability uh, on track in feeding and mouth play their teeth came in on time. They came in in a, I mean, sorry, their teeth may have come in a little late, but closer to being on time. They came in in a regular sequence, and they came in more fo fully formed. And that's a population where you usually see problems with tooth development. So we were noticing that clinically. And so I'm talking now about regular kids. Um, right. So your typical kids need to bite and chew on toys and appropriate foods in order to get teeth. Um, and so we, as we said, we talked about food texture introduction in our first two interviews, and we spoke about appropriate mouth toy use in our last one. Right, and I think the big takeaway for me here is um, – we want to avoid problems, and I think a lot of parents don't look to the allied health professionals like speech-language pathologists and occupational therapists and physical therapists um, to find out information about fostering good development. So typically developing children can really reach even greater potentials, and oh, um, yeah. if children are do have developmental issues, they can be mitigated or reduced, and um, yes. Children who are typical, as you were saying, who otherwise would be fine um, if they had the right um, experiences. So I think that's an important thought. Right, and we've kind of lost some of those appropriate experiences because we've moved into a fast food society. And a lot of those foods don't have the, the textures like chicken nuggets. I'm not against them, but they're basically like a ground meat and you don't get a really good chewing experience from them like you would get from a regular meat when a child is ready. Right, right. That's a good point. Yeah. So um, so what should parents do if they suspect that their child is drooling too much? Okay. So parents need to work with the child's pediatrician. I can never, you know, stress that enough to understand why the child is drooling. And there are four areas that need to be considered. Okay, so um, let's, I guess, then talk about that first area. Okay. Um, the first area to consider is nose breathing. We've talked about this before, the importance of nose breathing. Uh, if a child is not breathing easily, clearly, and consistently through his or her nose, then the parent really needs to look into this. And they might have to be persistent with it. Um, and I'll explain that in a, in a couple minutes. Um, but let's talk about, about why nose breathing is important. When a child cannot breathe through the nose, uh, he or she must breathe through the mouth. And mouth breathing, as we've said before, is very unhealthy because nose breathing does some things that mouth breathing just cannot do. Um, you know, when you're stressed, you might, you know, gulp some air or something, um, but we don't want the child stressed. We want the child easily breathing through the nose because the nose warms, filters, and processes the air. 
for use by the body, and the mouse cannot do this. Um, there's a specific chemical called nitric oxide, and it's only produced during nose breathing. Which, and this nitric oxide is needed for many of the body's me, uh, metabolic processes. And parents, again, you can look up nitric, N-I-T-R-I-C, oxide, O-X-I-D-E, and read more about that and what it does for the body. It is measured in babies within an hour of birth. Um, mouth breathing also results um, uh, often from the child's inability to breathe through the nose. And this is where parents are going to have to work really with their pediatrician and possibly an ENT doctor. Um, this may be so due can you, to... Can you explain what an, um, an ENT means what? Sure, sure. An ENT doctor is an ear, nose, and throat doctor, also called an otolaryngologist who specifically works with the upper airway. So if there's some kind of blockage where the child can't nose breathe, and we'll talk about what those are, um, that ear, nose, and throat doctor is the person who is going to help the parents with that. Um, some of the blockages that occur are enlarged adenoids, enlarged tonsils, um, allergies, um, anything like that, any kind of swelling. If the child has a high, narrow palate, we talked about that, that roof of the mouth goes into the area where, um, you know, which would be the nasal space and makes that nasal space smaller. And we talked all about high, narrow palates last time, I think. Um, so yeah. it's not okay for children to have blocked upper airways. That needs to be taken care of. Snoring, not okay. Congestion, not okay. Mouth breathing is not okay. Okay. And so I and, just wanted uh, to point out, too. When sure. you say we talked about that, it isn't necessarily in this talk today, in case people are yeah. tuning in in the middle, but it's across right. the, um, <laughs> the other three talks that we, we've had that are all on the radio station that people can go archive right. and download anytime. So, yeah, particularly okay. the one that we talked with, with last, talked about last time with regard to pacifiers and all that stuff and mouth toy use. Um, I just have a couple other points about mouth breathing here. Sure. Um, mouth breathing leads to low jaw and tongue resting position where it's easy for saliva to pull or collect in the mouth. Um, and then when that happens, you can imagine why we see drooling because we have this pooling and collection of saliva. Um, breathing can also change the way children perceive sensation in the mouth. So if you are at home right now and you want to just breathe through your mouth for a minute, you'll notice a change in sensation in your mouth. So it changes the function of the whole mechanism, uh, which is problematic. Right. All right, so just to um, orient ourselves, we're talking about what parents should do if they suspect that a child is drooling too much, and you had said there are four areas excuse me, four areas, and the first one was about um, uh, mouth uh, breathing versus nose breathing, and we want those nose mm -hmm. breathers. So I guess mm -hmm. let's talk about um, the next area. Right. If, if that's the next where we are. Area, yes? Okay. Which, you know, we, we kind of go into from uh, the previous comment, is about oral or mouth sensation problems. Um, so if saliva is pooling or collecting in the child's mouth, um, and the child is mouth breathing, of course, they may not feel it and therefore not swallow it. Or the child may be having some sensation problems. Say they have a closed mouth at rest, but still that drool is coming out of the mouth and it's too much. It's wetting the shirt, all of that. So then the parent might want to explore that child's oral or mouth awareness. And this can be explored with the child during toothbrushing. So just looking at how the child responds during toothbrushing. Does the child seem to want a firmer than usual brushing in the mouth? That says the child is looking for more information in the mouth. Um, so maybe that, that child may not even feel the saliva in there. Does the child resist toothbrushing? They're very sensitive to sensation in the mouth. And that may, you know, both of these things can give the parents good information about what the sensation is in the child's mouth. 
Um, in my experience, oral sensation can be improved, and I've done a lot of this, um, through the use of oral massage. Uh, and there's a systematic oral massage in my book. However, parents, um, if you want a copy of the oral massage, I have one that's written out that if you contact me or professionals, if you contact me, you know, email me, I will send it to you. Um, do you want me to keep on going about a brief summary yeah, of the oral well, massage? Yes, or? but um, now that we offered... Now that we offered for people to contact you, I'll just let everybody know your contact information is on the Blog Talk Radio website for the show for this episode, and we're, we're going to include all that information at the end as well. So, yeah. um, so okay. feel free to continue. Okay. So I'm just going to give you a brief summary of oral massage so you can picture it. Um, it's systematic. And yet it should be an enjoyable and fun thing for the parent and child. Uh, if the child needs oral massage, I emphasize that. We don't just massage people's mouths if they don't need it. But if you have someone who doesn't seem to be feeling the saliva collecting in the mouth, it's best to do the oral massage three times a day. And what else do we usually do three times a day? Toothbrushing. So I usually have parents learn and practice the massage on their own mouths first. This isn't something that we just go in and do to the child. I want the parent to have a feeling for what the massage is on themselves. Then I have the parents do the massage in front of the child. And you can do all kinds of fun things like, you know, use your iPhone and video this and watch it. It works great for some kids to see that. Um, with older kids, I have them taking turns doing the massage with the parent. Um, and uh, the oral massage may sound a little strange in our culture, but many cultures use massage for a variety of health reasons. So let me just go through what a massage might look like if, if you don't have any questions there. No, so keep going. Okay. Um, the massage usually begins in an area on the child's body where he or she readily accepts touch. For many children, this might be the arms or the legs or the back. Um, I like to begin on the arms to get the child used to my touch. Uh, I use firm but gentle on-off presses, I move up the arms to the shoulders, and then I move to the child's face when the child is ready. You know, it's, this isn't something that's just being done to the child. I'm just getting them ready so they'll receive the touch um, so we can work on this awareness in the mouth. Um, then I use firm but gentle rotary massage strokes uh, on the cheeks and around the lips, and this is getting us ready to go into the child's mouth. Now, if the child so, has no trouble with toothbrushing and you're, the child loves toothbrushing, you can skip these steps and just add the inside of the mouth um, awareness work. But if you have a child who's a little defensive, sensitive, or whatever, you may need to work your way up toward the mouth. Okay, Diane, you had used the term rotary. I just want to make sure parents are clear with what you mean. So you mean like little circles? Yeah. little circles. And I usually keep, like, two fingers together, and I work my way from the um, back near the ears up through the cheeks toward the mouth, and then I use single fingers around the lips. And if you're a parent, you can use your fingers right on the child's lips if you're comfortable. If you're a professional or you're a parent where you feel like you want to protect uh, your fingers a little bit, I recommend parents use gloves. Um, if the child is working with a professional who needs to use gloves, I recommend that the parents use the gloves at home so the child is used to it. And all of this massage we're talking about can be done in just a couple minutes. It's easily incorporated right into the toothbrushing routine. Okay, nice, nice. So um, you, do you want me mm -hmm. to tell you about the inside of the mouth? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. So once the child is ready for a massage inside of the mouth, the parent can use a gloved finger um, or if it's an infant, because this work can be done from birth um, So it, if a child needs it, or a small soft brush if the child has teeth, and the parent's going to massage the tongue, which is not unusual these days. Dentists have us brushing our tongues. 
They're going to brush the teeth and gums. They're going to brush the inner cheeks. And they're going to brush the outside edge of the roof of the mouth, working from the front of the mouth toward the back. Because the mouth is such a vulnerable area of the body, we don't want to just go ahead, because we we talked about gag reflex, I think, in our first uh, interview. We don't just want to go in there and and put all the way in right away. We work from the front toward the back. And then we teach our children as they're older, and they can do this well, they have the fine motor skills to do it, to brush their own mouth in this way. Right, and I think um, some of the things that were resonating with me as you were talking were thoughts of that this is a fairly invasive, in-your-face kind of interaction, and you you really are in their personal space. So the way you approach it is really important, and and you have nice steps gently leading people into it, which I think is really important, and building that um, trust. Right. I Hmm? broke this down. Like, the handout, if you email me, will be, I think it's about a three-page handout. Um, Mm -hmm. But in my book, I've broken it down into very, very small steps for parents, so they can just take as small steps as they need as they go along with this massage process. Right. Right. Okay, so those are the first two areas um, regarding what parents should do if, if they see a concern. So what's the third area? Okay. The third area to consider when a child drools is jaw closure. If the child has an open mouth posture, the parent and pediatrician first need to discuss whether there's a possible airway blockage like we talked about before. Or maybe the child just can't keep the jaw closed against gravity because gravity is quite a force on that heavy jawbone. Um, so there might be some jaw problems going on. Uh, there could be a jaw, jaw alignment problem, which, we address, which would be addressed by a pediatric orofacial myofunctional therapist. When we talk later about professionals, we can go into more detail about who they are or someone like myself, an oral sensory motor specialist, uh, in conjunction with a pediatric dentist or orthodontist. Um, So we talked quite a bit about jaw problems, specific jaw problems in our last interview. If it's a jaw weakness where the child just has weak jaw muscles and can't keep the jaw closed, that heavy jaw bone up against gravity, um, then we will need to work with what's called the jaw elevator muscles. Think about an elevator going up. Um, There are muscles in the jaw which raise the jaw. If those don't have adequate strength to work against the constant force of gravity, then the child most likely won't be able to keep the mouth closed. Um, Any questions before I tell you about what I do for this? No, but I'm, I'm well, I maybe a little or question comment. or comment. I, I see sure. um and parents might have heard of children having an open mouth posture. Um where they're right. just when they're sitting at rest, instead of their lips being closed, they're sitting with their mouths open and probably breathing through their mouths, which we don't want. Uh-huh. And is could this right. be part of the reason why that happens? Oh, absolutely. If they can't, if they don't have the strength to close their jaws, and we started really discovering this with our children with Down syndrome, because they have, uh, they just are born with weak muscles. So what we did was we were very proactive with that group to, from birth, to do jaw work and keep their mouths closed at rest. And as they were developing, we kept doing jaw work. Um, so one of the keys to looking at this is if your child, as they get more tired, their mouth is more open, then you probably know, you know, throughout the day, uh, and there's more drooling throughout the day, that it may be weak jaw muscles. Mm -hmm. So I can tell you how I treat it. Yeah, Um, sure, that'd be super. Okay. Uh, I treat this by using systematic jaw work. Um, In my book, I called it Jawsercise. Um, systematic jaw work should also, just like the oral massage, be fun and enjoyable for the child. It can be done with babies beginning at birth if it's needed. If it's not needed, then you don't do it. Um, Once children can use appropriate mouth toys and eat appropriate textures, jaw work 
can happen kind of naturally just through these processes. So a lot of times it's just guiding the child to the appropriate foods and mouth toys. Um, Mm -hmm. Basically, we want the child to chew on appropriate toys and foods at the back molar area. So think about where your molars are in the back of the mouth. Now, babies don't have molars for quite a while, but even with newborn babies, uh, we do this with the fleshy part of our finger, um, but with kids as they're older, there are specific toys and mouth items. There are jaw exercisers out there. Um, And what we do, or what I do, is uh, I usually have the parent working with the child to chew at each back molar surface 12 to 15 times for three sets at least one time daily. Now, they can do this as often as they want. And once the child gets into this and really starts chewing items at the back molar area, they do this on their own. So, you know, it's not like a treatment you always have to do. It's more a matter of guidance um, to getting the child doing this, which is kind of a natural activity. Now, oral facial myofunctional therapists uh, are people who work specifically with the uh, oral face swallow, getting the mouth in shape for um, good feeding and speech. We talked about them a little bit last time. Um, an oral facial myologist might want the child chewing on the toys and the appropriate food textures on both back molar surfaces simultaneously, maybe for 20 repetitions. Because I understand from those that I've taken courses from, they really want kids chewing their foods, the higher texture foods, getting in the habit of doing that about 20 times before they swallow. That's the reason they might look for that. Um, Doll work can be done while parents and children are sitting and looking at books together. That's the time I usually have parents do it. The child's had a bath. They're sitting down looking at books in the evening. Um, This will help strengthen the jaw elevator muscles, which raise the jaw against gravity. You know, so the child is chewing on the toy at the back molar area while they're looking at books together. I have parents also doing the chewing work just like I did with the oral massage. Um, They can do this chewing work together. Uh, Chewy Tubes, ARC uh, Therapeutics, their companies we talked about before, they have um, items that are specifically for jaw exercise. Also, chewing can increase attention, focus, and concentration. So if you have a child who tends to be a little wiggly and doesn't look at books as well as you'd like them to, um, you know yourself that sometimes you chew gum or you chew on your pencil <laughs> mm-hmm. or whatever sometimes. People even bite their nails, which is not a good habit. That's a bad habit. But, I mean, a lot of times people chew gum to help them with attention, focus, and concentration. Um, and yes, I that's actually, that, you know ahead. what, Diane? Sure. I want to jump in for sure. a second because that's, that's a really important point about attention, um, that yeah. parents may not realize that if you do have a child who tends to like to move because they probably need to, it's what their body is craving, yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. that um, chewing on something can help uh, with that. So I, I think that's an important takeaway. Right. So I just wanted to highlight that. But Sure. Yeah. yeah. Go and, ahead. You know, jaw work, if it's done properly, I mean, parents, you don't have to worry about this being um, like a, a program for your child. This should be fun. They'll do it naturally once they learn to do it, and they'll just hold their own mouth toys, and you direct it to the back molar area, and you look at your books together. I mean, that is as simple as that. Um, And yet that is what you need to get the jaw strong enough to hold itself up against gravity. Um, There's a Q&A on my website that explains the jaw work with and without food uh, in detail. And the question's on a slightly different topic, but the jaw work is basically the same. So here's the question on my site if you're looking at it. Look at the Q&A section, and the question is this. I am working with a three-year-old boy who is dependent on purees. What steps would you take to help him learn to chew foods? And then a lot of the specifics about the jaw work is right there for you. All right. That's really super. Um, Okay. So those are the, the, that's the third element that parents should be looking at um, 
if a child, um, they believe their child is drooling too much. So what's the fourth factor? So, again, we talked about breathing. You talked about oral massage. You talked about jaw work. And the fourth factor is what? Swallowing. Um, If you're not swallowing enough, you know, when the mouth is at rest, I'm not talking about during snacks or during eating and drinking, but throughout the day we swallow. And depending on whose research you read, uh, we swallow between 1,000 and 2,000 times a day when we are awake outside of meals and snacks. Um, So I suggest that the parents observe their child's swallow because if the child is not swallowing enough, that can also contribute to uh, drooling. Uh, Parents can watch a child swallow by looking at the child's voice box, which is also called the larynx. So if you put your hand gently on the front of your throat, you'll feel your voice box, which vibrates when you're talking. And when you swallow, in the adult, that rises about an inch. In children, it'll be less based on their size. But you can observe that the child is swallowing by looking at that that larynx or voice box. Um, If the child is not swallowing, every 30 to 60 60 seconds when the mouth is at rest, this could be the reason for saliva pooling and collecting within the mouth. Now, parents can work on this and professionals can work on a child's swallowing tempo by just setting aside a time each day when the child can practice taking sips of liquid from a cup or a straw, and we talked about appropriate cup and straw drinking in our second interview, and just doing an activity where they and the child are taking a sip every 30 to 60 seconds, just setting a, a period of time you know, each day to just practice this. You don't have to do this all day long. Um, and I encourage the parent to do this along with the child and make it fun. Um, you know, play is child's work, and so we should be playing as we're doing this work. Yeah, you can really um, find ways to make things fun and enjoyable. Um, and um, as much as swallowing could be fun. <laughs> um, but I just wanted to yeah. make sure the parents were clear on, on what we mean by voice box or really where they're looking. So in the, yes. in the front okay. of the neck, kind of in the middle of the neck. Right. Yes, and just touch that, the Adam's apple. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, that's right. and not too hard. <laughs> you don't want to be too hard, but you want to be looking for it. And with the child, you don't have to touch them. I'm just telling the parents to touch their own so they can feel it. But with the child, you don't have to touch the child's Adam's apple uh, in order to observe swallowing. Just once you know where it is, you'll see it rising. Right, right. And, of course, I'm sure there are plenty of... Look at them, right. Yeah, yeah, plenty of pictures. Yes, that could be a good Mm -hmm. angle to watch them, and, and there'll be nice pictures, I'm sure, on the Internet. Yes. Yeah. So let's talk about um, um, the professionals who treat children with uh, drooling pro- uh, problems. Who who do they include? Okay. So speech-language pathologists, if, they're, if they work in that area, you'll find those who are trained to do this work. Occupational therapists um, often do work with drooling. Oral sensory motor specialists who are usually speech-language pathologists, occupational therapists, or oral facial myofunctional therapists, although they tend to separate their um, title out from the oral sensory motor specialist. Uh, As I said, oral facial myofunctional therapists are people who work with the oral phase of swallowing. Um, So, and that's, you know, all aspects of it. And so they work with chewing, they work with swallowing, they work with tongue position, they work with jaw, they work with it all. Um, and you can find them on the International Association of Orofacial Myology website. And there is a new one that I talked about last time, a new group, um, which right now, I'm sorry to the new group, I'm, the title of them is escaping me. Um, but I might have it. Might you have that on your website? <laughs> Yes, I do. In fact, on on my website, um, we have a a websites and companies resource list. And if you go to that, it's under my parent book. 
And if you go to that Websites and Companies resource list, list there's a whole section on math development um, and math function. And so all of those groups will be listed there. Yeah, I'm actually um, and also, there. <laughs> oh, but you have Pardon? a lot of them. You have a lot. I do. I'm on your website now. Yeah, okay. Yeah, do. So it's um, feeding and it's the oral. There are a lot. So I think it might be easier yes, to tell people, are. go to agesandstages.net. <laughs> That's Diane's website, agesandstages.net. Uh, she has a tremendous amount of really great information there. And, again, we'll repeat that at the end of the show, and it's also on the Blog Talk Radio website for the show for this episode as well. Yeah, and if you look under Books and Guides, go to Websites and Companies, and then you know scroll down the list, and you will see, uh, let's see, Mouse Structure and Function. And I'm seeing the name of the group, the new group there right now. It's called the Academy of Orofacial Myofunctional Therapy. Um, so you have the International Association of Orofacial Myology, IAOM, and the Academy of Orofacial Myofunctional Therapy, AOMT. Uh, those would be good places to go look for some of this information and for professionals. Uh, who do specifically the orofacial myofunctional treatment. Uh, also, Pam Marsala has a wonderful book on drooling, and her and specifically written for parents, and her website is also um, in that list, and her website is www.pammarshalla.com. Okay, great. So, um, well, we've been talking about your website. Maybe we can talk about it a little more. I just mentioned it's called Ages and Stages, and it's agesandstages.net. So, again, you provide resources for feeding and speech and um, mouth function. Talk to us a little Mm -hmm. bit more about what you have. Yeah. So, as you said in my introduction, our goal is, our mission is to provide the best possible feeding, speech, and mouth development information for families and professionals. And we do this blog, Q&As, and other formats. For example, all of the um, interviews you and I have done are on that site under a Q&A. So if you go to our Q&As, you find the topic, then you can click right into um, the link to the radio show itself. Uh, plus see it in writing if you need if you're a person you know a, a learner who needs to see something in writing it's in writing there Teresa has been kind enough to let me put the transcripts of the um, you know our our talks on on our Q and A uh, our goal is to prevent feeding speech and mouth development problems as Teresa said in the beginning and to keep children on track all children um, I've noticed as I said earlier that we get a lot of kids in the clinic that it's the parents and, and the early childhood education professionals who might be working with them even knew some of these things or daycare providers. I've done interviews for daycare people. Um, if they know these kinds of things uh, that we're talking about with regard to keeping the mouth on track, then a lot of those kids may not need to end up in therapy uh, with us. And you gave my website, www.agesandstages.net. Right. Um, let's see, what else? Um, how about we had mentioned the publications you had, um, especially the one you've, you've won that's a textbook for professionals, but that nobody ever told me or my mother that. Um, why don't you maybe talk about that a little bit? Right. I'm working to spring off of that book and expand the information from the book. So that's part of what our talks are about, our interviews are about here. Um, Another thing I've done is I created an e-course on the topic of newborn and infant mouth development. And my plan is to take each chapter of my book and expand it into an e-course so that we can go a little more in-depth with each of the areas, each chapter, although the chapters are pretty thorough. Um, by the way, there are parent and professional guides for the book 
uh, so that parents don't have to read the whole book cover to cover. Uh, they can just look up. That's also on my site under the book section. There are age guides and topic guides. But back to the e-course for a second. That's entitled Everything You Need to Know About a Baby's Mouth for Good Feeding, Speech, and Mouth Development. And that e-course is particularly useful for new parents because it talks about avoiding many of the pitfalls that occur during the first year because mouth development tends to go off track during the first year if children are doing the things um, that they would have naturally done before we lived in the kind of world we live in today, which is not a bad world. It's just a different world. Um, so we tend to do a lot more things for convenience today than we used two years ago when kids kind of naturally got some of the experiences um, that uh, that we're talking about. Um, Diane, that's, my a, core, that's, go ahead, sure. oh, that's a huge point. I just wanted to comment on it, that technology sure. is wonderful, but it is a mixed blessing in many ways, and children are not having the physical experiences they used to, and it affects them. Um, it affects their cognitive development and how they learn in school, and we see this with kids and how they're able to learn physics now because they're not jumping and running around right. in the playground and experiencing um, <laughs> real life physics. Exactly. Um, yeah. And we have an episode. We have an episode here um, on the radio station called Tummy Time and the Container Baby Syndrome because. Um, kids are often in the same position, always in you know, the same seat for the high chair, for the stroller, for the car seat, and they're not moving around and feeling gravity on their body and using their muscles. And so um, it's a real important point. So I didn't mean to derail yeah. you, but I, I wanted to point no. that out to parents. Exactly. So. And if their bodies aren't developing, we, we talked about gross motor and fine motor. If the, those large body movements aren't developing because kids aren't moving the way they need to, then the fine motor development doesn't come along because they kind of follow with one another. So just back to the e-course for a second, everything you need to know about a baby's mouth for good feeding, speech and mouth development. I originally developed the course for professionals, and so mostly professionals will be taking it. But it is, parents, if you really want a detailed look at the newborn baby and the first year of mouth development, uh, it is written, everything I do now is written in such a way that you and other care providers can understand the information. Yeah, that's a big plus. That's a super plus. Yeah. I just, you know, what's the point? If I write another textbook, I'll put it in textbook language. But, you know, we have a lot of parents who want detail these days. So and, uh, it's important that we can have books that can cross over. Yeah, and um, frankly, that's part of the reason why I started the show also was because um, a lot of my publications and a lot of my trainings were for academics, which is great and helpful right. and needed, and I'm training other academics to go help families. But I wanted to bring the information also directly to parents in a digestible way and a user-friendly and actionable way they can go um, take this information and go use it right now with their kids. And that kind of right. brings us into the, the last part of the show where I always ask our guests to tell us their five fantastic facts for families. What's your favorite advice to give parents um, regarding okay. this topic? Well, always talk with your pediatrician about the methods and techniques you're using with your child. Uh, your pedi And I've said this in just about every interview, your pediatrician is your partner in your child-rearing process. So you go hand-in-hand hand with your pediatrician through the process. Um, speaking with your child's pediatrician can be particularly important if your child's teeth are not emerging properly or if your child is drooling and it's related to an airway issue because it's your pediatrician who has the network to guide you to a pediatric dentist or the otolaryngologist, the ear, nose, and throat doctor we talked about. So that's, that's point number one. Point number two, if possible, and the reason we're doing the interviews and getting the information out there, uh, begin tracking and guiding your child's mouth development from birth. So if you have a young baby, uh, you can track your child's tooth development using a chart. Uh, the American Dental Association is a great resource. My book has the information. In my book, I combined a couple of different charts to give age ranges, so I don't want parents getting upset and thinking, oh, these teeth have to come in right here. There are age ranges 
produce development there. And keep an eye on the amount of drooling. Um, you know, if the child is drooling beyond 30 months of age, beyond the time that they're teething, that's not typical. Drooling should be done with teething. And drooling should never be profuse. Um, so that leads me to my third point. Um, if the child is drooling profusely, has a constantly wet shirt, consider the four factors we talked about today. So ask yourself these questions. Does your child have easy, clear, and consistent nose breathing? If not, you may need to work with a pediatric ENT or otolaryngologist to get that airway clear. You know, find out what's blocking it. Um, allergies are tricky, um, but your otolaryngologist may actually send you one if the child, if he thinks he or she thinks the child has allergies, to a pediatric allergist as well. Um, does your child have adequate sensation in the mouth? You know, are they feeling the drool um, or saliva collecting? If not, you may need to do some systematic oral massage as part of your child's toothbrushing routine. Another question is, does your child have a closed mouth at rest? And if not, consider whether your child has the ability to keep the jaw closed against gravity. If you think it's weak muscles that's keeping the, the mouth open, you might need to consider doing some systematic jaw work to strengthen the muscles that close the jaw. And parents, don't, you know, don't take this all on yourselves. We don't want you... There's some of this you can just do and fix some of these problems. But if you're really having a, a problem where you need to combine and incorporate all these things, please see a professional, an oral sensory motor specialist, a feeding specialist, um, an OT, a speech language pathologist, an oral facial myofunctional therapist to help you through this process. Um, so... The last point we made, um, not the last point I'm going to make, but that we made um, as far as looking at drooling and the question you need to ask yourself is, does your child swallow every 30 to 60 seconds outside of meals or snacks? If not, you may need to help your child practice his or her swallowing tempo while taking appropriate sips from a cup or a straw. Um, okay, so my fourth point here is if drooling is a significant problem for your child, I guess I made this in my last point, see an appropriate specialist. Um, so you know who they are now. We've talked about them a couple of times. And then my fifth point is on my website, and you know this well too because we went over it very specifically, I have the websites and companies resource list with a section on mouth structuring function. Um, so go there, and if it's overwhelming to you, um, or anything that we've talked about uh, is overwhelming to you, you can feel free to send questions to me at ages, A-N-D-Stages, at cox.net. That's the email, ages, A-N-D-Stages, at cox.net. Also on our website, we are working to bring together a network of people who are interested in this topic um, and professionals who treat this topic. So we have a networking directory. When you subscribe to our site, you can look to see, in addition to those other two sites I mentioned, our site is now collecting uh, its own networking directory. So you can find professionals in your area. And finally, Teresa, because I know you're going to finish up with <laughs> our thoughts, I just want to thank you for having me on your show. Uh, it's been wonderful for me all these times. I know we'll likely do something else together. Uh, in the future, and I want to thank you, the audience, for just listening to my ideas. So that's it for me. Yeah, and Diane, equally, thank you so much. Um, we've been collaborating a lot. I have learned so tremendously. It has been such a pleasure working with you. You have great information for families, and um, I, I, yes, I'm sure we will collaborate more in the future. <laughs> and so... <laughs> With that, everybody, that's the end of our show for today. Again, I want to thank Diane Barr for lending her time and her expertise. Again, I have the links to her website on the station show site. And, uh, again, yes, thanking our guests for tuning in. And I want to remind everybody and invite you all to email us with questions as well, questions that you'd like us to answer, suggestions for 
shows, um, and feedback too. And you can email us at info at kidsatoz.com. That's info at kidsatoz.com. And we also invite you to follow us on the Blog Talk Radio page, We um, especially to follow us on Facebook. We have a lot of nice information up there. Um, we have our own standalone website, which is kidsatoz.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter too. And um, that's about it. Again, I'm Teresa Senior. Well, you'd think I'd be able to say my name as a speech pathologist, and um, it's a long name. It's hard sometimes. So I am Teresa Seniorelli. I'm your host, and I hope you all have a great day. Take care. <laughs>